broke, 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 and then cut it in half. We were that broke. She's like, yeah, dummy. <laughs> it was a foreclosure. I'm like, well, what does that mean? And she's like, well, like probably like 145. I'm like, what? What? One block over, two blocks down, 214. Oh, that was last year. You know, my, my operations manager, Heather, coined this. We, we just do the thing. If you do the thing, the thing works. We just get up every day and we do the thing. Hello, welcome to the Dre and Smiley podcast, where ordinary people living extraordinary lives share their experiences with you. Today we have David Olds, and we're really excited to have him here. All right. So David Olds is a full-time real estate investor based out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. He started his investing in real estate back in 2002 when he and his wife bought their first home that was unknowingly a foreclosure. I can't wait to hear more about that. After flipping that property for a $50,000 profit, they discovered the world of real estate investing and went on to do numerous flips in Central Florida before the crash in 0809. Struggling to find deals during the last economic crash, he and his wife relocated to Chattanooga, Tennessee to work a new market area there and through their hard work, sheer determination, became the dominant wholesalers in the region. Along with the way he accumulated over 100 rental properties, continued to flip, mastering not only wholesaling, but property management as well as raising private money and rehabbing. Some of David's guiding principles are simplicity is scalable and always start with the end in mind. And it's this common sense approach to business that has enabled him to build a strong business with an amazing team. With that, David, I want to say welcome to the podcast. Thank anything you I leave out there? Anything you would add to that? That that bio, the intro? No, that, man, I that was that was that's pretty good, right? I guess I don't know. Okay, okay. <laughs> I mean, it sounds really fancy. I mean, we're just we're just people that have been you know wholesaling and being investors for a long time. And so let's start there. What, what, what what is wholesaling? Awesome. So wholesaling is an aspect of being a real estate investor. It's commonly the it's sort of like the entry drug for for, for real estate investors because it doesn't take a lot of um, I don't want to say time, but it doesn't take a lot of money or credit. So when we started wholesaling, we were broke, 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 like broke, 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 and then cut it in half. We were that broke, like we had no okay. money. And okay. uh, you know, so wholesaling is this. I'm going to go out and I'm going to find somebody who has a need to sell their property, right? Um, typically, this is the, what I always say real estate investors do. We are in the business of helping people. So somebody has a property and it's probably keeping them up at night, right? Whatever the situation is. It could be death, divorce, taxes, job transfer, bankruptcy, right? There's a million. Life happens to people and there's... There's a lot of reasons, and maybe they inherited the property, but they need to get rid of this, right? Okay. Um, so they're willing to just, you know, sell this thing at a price that just, for them, they just want to be rid of it. No different than somebody who takes a $10,000 Rolex in and pawns it for 1000 bucks or 2000 bucks or whatever, right? You're just, you're solving a problem for them. And so we're taking that property. Once it's under contract, now we have a plethora 
a lot of different options of things that we can do with it, right? We could we could buy it and keep it. We could, you know, assign that contract to somebody else, which is really what wholesaling is. So in the model of wholesaling, we have that property under contract. And what makes us different from a realtor is we have that contract and that, that contract has value, right? Let's say this property, this phantom property that we're talking about fixed up is worth $100,000, but it needs... $20,000 worth of work, but I've got a contract to purchase it at $50,000. Well, again, if I can find an investor who's willing to pay $60,000 for that property, well, the difference between those two contracts is a wholesale fee, and that's how I get paid. Does gotcha, that make sense? Gotcha. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Makes perfect, well, perfect sense. It's different from being well, a realtor in that we're not listing a property for sale. Um, and honestly, we're not even selling a property as a wholesaler. We're selling, we're selling our contract. So words definitely matter there. Okay, makes sense. I want to dive deeper into that, but let's go back a little bit further. So you mentioned you got started in real estate by mm -hmm. buying a house yeah. um, that you later found out was a foreclosure. Tell me about yeah. that. So kind of funny. So now everybody everybody knows about like foreclosures and all of the, the things. But back in 2002, when my wife and I, we had just gotten married and we had this great realtor and also 2002 no internet right the way that we got properties was the realtor would send me an email and i would have to print it out with all these properties and then drive around to go to go look at them but we found this property um we went to closing and as we were coming out it was like ninety-seven thousand. and my realtor's name was dj dj rivera she's south florida anyways i said dj i don't understand how did we buy that from wells fargo didn't didn't somebody own it because it's not new. She's like, yeah, dummy. <laughs> it was a foreclosure. I'm like, well, what does that mean? She's like, oh, well, somebody had a loan. They didn't pay it. The bank took it back. And that's why you, you know, you bought it directly from them. So I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting, I guess, right? Like, I don't know. I'd never been exposed to that, right? Like most normal people who aren't in this business, like that was new to me. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that, that's, that's sort of how we got started. And at the time, you know, I actually went to college. I went to UMass for a degree in criminal justice. And I decided I wasn't skinny enough to be jumping over fences and chasing people, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and being shot at for $15,000 a year back then didn't seem like a good idea. So I had, uh, I had worked my way through college in retail stores. So, you know, like three recessions ago, the market crashed in Boston where I was and my parents moved to moved to Florida, to Delray Beach, just north of Boca. And I, I came down here and started working for um, this hardware company. And it was Scotty's Hardware Stores. Back then, they were a big deal. They had like 180 stores in, in Florida. Sort of like, think like there's Ace Hardware and then there's Home Depot. They were sort of in the middle, right? But anyway, so I worked, I worked for this company and we had bought our house. So I'm like, oh, I'm around building materials all day and people who fix houses, so let's do that thing. <laughs> Right. I, you know, and growing up, my dad was like the house fix guy. So we did some stuff. We pulled up carpet. We put down laminate floors, took out sliding glass doors, put in French doors. You know, just basic, basic stuff. Right. Changed out some moldings. And two years later, we, we sold that property for like one hundred fifty thousand. So same realtor going back into the new title company. And uh, she's like, oh, so, you know, you've owned this for two years, so you're not going to have taxes on this property. I'm like, well, what do you mean? She's like, yeah, dummy, it's a homestead. Dummy, <laughs> dummy, a lot. And I love this movie. I'm like, huh. I remember stopping, going into the, the thing, going, 
So you're saying, I got to live in this thing. I fixed it up. I'm going to make 53000 or whatever this is today, and I don't have to pay taxes on it? She's like, no. You don't know that? I'm like, no. Nobody tells you this stuff. <laughs> That's fantastic. That might be the greatest thing ever. <laughs> so, right, right. Um, so, yeah, so that happened. And then, you know, we did it again and again and again and again. And, and uh, that's, you know, that's sort of how we got into to real estate investing. That's, that's amazing. I, um, I actually was following you on YouTube and I listened to your, your video, your hour and a lot and yeah. uh, 38 video. I was very informative. I had a lot of tidbits from there. And, and the one I want to circle back to a little bit later is where the lady asked you a question and, and something the you bought a house and somebody was dead and it was a process. That was, That's what you guys want to talk about? Dead people. <laughs> but it seems like you, you, I want to get to that process. But what I thought was interesting is because yeah. uh, you mentioned on one of your YouTube, you own the street. And at first I thought you were just a buyer and holder. But then when I looked at the, that was a short video. But when I looked at the long one, I realized you're a wholesaler. Yeah. So the question is, yeah. when do you see something, because you, you have the end in might and, and sight, that you yeah. decide, you know what, I'm going to keep this one versus yeah. I'm going to put it on a contract. Yeah, great uh, question. I saw that between the two different videos. Yeah. And I was, oh. So you got a lot to unpack there. So there's the dead people. We've, we've actually bought two properties <laughs> where people had died in them. And like, I'm not superstitious, so I don't care, but it's a weird thing. Um, mostly it's weird because people like neighbors will want to come talk about it. The, the, we can come put it, we'll come back to the other one because the, the one we talked about there was crazy. Um, so here's what happened. We'll skip ahead in the story. You know, we, we bought a couple houses. We started flipping them. I got involved in our local real estate investment group. Um, and the way that I found them was a crazy story, um, which is cool because I'm going to get to meet them in a couple weeks. But I was at the airport and I picked up the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book from Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah. I was sitting there reading it, like flipping through. I'm like, oh, I was picking up my kids. They were, they were being flown in. And I'm like, this is a great book. Like, it, it was an easy read. I'd read like 10 pages standing there. So I bought it and went home. And, you know, at the end of it, it says, you know, if you want to be in real estate, go find a real estate group and be a part of that and be around people that are doing the thing that you want to do. So I did that. Um, but anyways, let's just, we'll just fast forward to, you know, we were doing real estate, the market just crashed as hard as anything can crash into the wall in 2008 and nine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so we, we moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is where we're at now. And we came here just for real estate. We didn't know anybody. Um, it's literally that proverbial burn the boats thing. We, you know, we left everything we had in Florida and we came here to do real estate. But so we came here with the idea that we were going to buy some multifamily properties, right? Some duplexes, triplexes, quads, maybe a 10 unit. You know, we were going to do all of those things. And as every real estate investor starts out, they start small and then they, it's like Monopoly, right? We're going to start with one house and we want to have the fourplex and we want to, you know, we want to get bigger and bigger. So anyways, so seemed like a fantastic idea. We're coming to Chattanooga. Also, we were broke, but, you know, we're going to start doing some marketing. And we're going to find some deals. And two problems with that. One, I was broke and just had a house foreclosed on. So that didn't didn't help the idea of going out and getting bank loans. The other problem was even if I could find someone to co-sign for me, banks weren't in the lending business back in 2009. Banks were in the taking properties back business. Right. So, um, so that kind of strategy, I thought to myself, well, we'll just have to set this aside for a little bit. And the one thing that we got really great at was marketing. Right. Because we had no money. And it's not like today. Real estate investors today, you can 
you can get you know someone to make calls for you from Egypt for mm. you know four dollars an hour. You can get someone to do texting for you. You can run pay per click ads on Google. You can run mm. Facebook. Like none of that existed back then, right? And I hate to be the old guy, right? I don't know if you guys experience that, but I am now the crotchety old guy who sits on the porch. <laughs> my day, back in so, my day. I, I hear myself saying that. I'm like, geez, what am I doing? I'm that guy, but uh, right. like so back then, you know, we had very old, very old school, like traditional method. We drove, we did what was called driving for dollars. We just drove neighborhoods looking for houses that looked like they were empty, right? Houses that looked like they needed work. We'd write them down, and I'd go home, and my wife would send them a letter. We put out those little street signs. They call them bandit signs, right? We buy houses. Call this number. So that was how we started. Um, very shoestring, bootstrap kind of budget. But anyways, to get to, to answer your question, so so we got very good at marketing and we we're bringing in a lot of leads, people who said, hey, I want to sell my house. They raised their hand and said, hey, can you can you help me? And, you know, within that, we said, oh, well, you know, we start out with wholesaling because we needed to generate cash, right? In real estate investing, really there's three kind of ways that you do it. You have, you have wholesaling, which is very quick cash, right? You can You can contract something, literally sell it in a week, close it out in another two weeks and you can have cash in your hand within 30 to 60 days. So that, that's relatively quick in, in the real estate world. The kind of the middle way to make money is you're rehabbing properties, right? You buy it, you fix it up, you resell it. Maybe three to six months, three to eight months, depending upon how big your property, your project is. And then longer term money is being a landlord, right? Having rental properties or developments or storage units or whatever, right? But that's that's your longer term money. So anyways, so we are bringing in these deals, lots of deals. We're looking at all of them. And at some point I decided, wow, well, this, you know, these people own this house and there's no mortgage on it. Maybe I can make a deal where they will finance the property to me instead of going to Bank of America. Right. So what happened was we started offering that to people. Right. Let's say, you know, Smiley, you call me, you're like, hey, I need 80 grand for this house. And I go over and look and I'm like, well, man. Dude, for cash, all I can give you is 45, right? That's the only thing that makes sense because cash is king, right? We all understand that. If we're going to pay cash for something, it's got to be cheap. But man, if, if you don't need all the money at once, we could work out, work out you know, some kind of deal where I'll make payments to you. Maybe I can get you your 80, right? So we sort of backed into that process and we got really good at that. And that's how we started to accumulate all of these rental properties. And, you know, now we have a rental portfolio that's, you know, almost nine figures, nine figures, what, I don't know, whatever, it's a lot. So, yeah, so we got really good at bringing in lots of, you know, deals. We just got good at marketing. And, you know, as we, we would look at some of these that we were able to, you know, wholesale out to to a uh, cash buyer. And at the time, we'd make four, five, six, seven, maybe $10,000 on some of those deals. But... At some point, I realized, you know, the the only way you're going to get really wealthy, right, is by having long-term assets. And the best one for me and for most people is going to be a cash-flowing asset, right? An asset that's going to pay you every single month. And we found that in rental property. So, um, so yeah, we wanted to start to accumulate as many of those as we possibly could. I thought that was interesting when you mentioned the seller financing. Yeah. Is that your strategy to acquire rental properties? Yeah. Is, uh, 
all right, we're going to do seller financing. If I come across someone who wants to do seller mm -hmm. financing, yeah. if the terms work out, that goes into your portfolio. Exactly. And then the others is just wholesale. Yeah. Oh, that's clever. Yeah. So, so here's the way that that it works. If you're if you're a wholesaler, right? For those for people that don't understand what that term means. So again, wholesalers were just really great at marketing and talking to people, right? As you could tell, we're yappy, very yappy. <laughs> so, um, so we're we're always making deals. It's a little bit of a hustler mentality in the beginning. Beginning. And so, and the good news is you can make so much money, right? If, if you, if you do it right and you do it consistently, um, you know, making five to $10,000 a week is very, very, it's very easy as long as you stay consistent and focused. Um, so let's just say I'm going to talk to, I talk to 10 people. I'm in my town. I'm going to go see 10 houses this week and I'm going to make them all an offer to purchase their property, put it under contract, but maybe one of them accepts. That's really good. Like in our business, one out of 20 or one out of 10, like you're really good. So what would happen is I would make the other nine people offers and they just couldn't accept it. So if they had no mortgage on it, and there's ways to do it with mortgages without getting too complicated, but let's just assume for simplicity's sake that they own these properties clear. You know, the, the question would be, would be, well, yeah, let me ask you a question. You know, I know you said you, you, you're leaving the area, you're moving to Florida, you know, you know, whatever all the reasons are that you need to sell this property quickly, do you need all the money at once? And not nine of them are gonna say yes, but one will, right? mm -hmm. one will. So now we've taken from being one in 10 to maybe one in five where we're able to construct some type of a deal and help that seller out. And, you know, in a situation with owner financing, I can pay them more because I'm only maybe going to pay them five or six hundred dollars a month for 20 years or 10 years or seven years, whatever, you know, it's whatever we work out that term to be that makes sense for us and for them. Um, so, no, it is 100 percent my my favorite strategy for acquiring houses. Lots of ways to do it, because one, I don't I don't have to go to Bank of America. I don't have to submit a loan application. I don't have to put 20 percent down. I don't have to, you know. I don't know, qualify and escrow money. Like none of those things happen. And it's interesting. I talk a lot about this on Instagram and the responses are like, you can't do that. You don't that. And the thing is just people aren't exposed to that, that mm. there are all these different ways to do real estate. And 50 years ago, 75 years ago, this was common. Mm. But now because interest rates got so cheap, you know, people just go to the bank. But uh, there's a whole, I, I like to tell people, it's like the Wizard of Oz, right? There's this curtain and most people only see on the front side, the retail mm -hmm. world of real estate, right? I, I want to buy a house, I'm going to call a realtor. I want to sell a house, I'm going to call a realtor. But there's this whole other side of the curtain that's probably 25, maybe 30% of transactions that happen between people, you know, customer to customer, business to business, where these types of things happen. And there's so many different ways to be involved in real estate. Let me ask you this. So in terms of, you know, this environment, the market we're in right now, yeah. Yeah. has it changed? What new challenges have been presented to you since, you know, maybe 10 years ago? Heck, five years ago in terms yeah. of higher, well, just just the market in general. What's changed? Any, any new challenges um, in wholesaling? I'll tell you this, guys. Like, life still happens to people, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Whether the market's up or the market's down, right? Like life happens, people get divorced, people get job transfers, people inherit houses, people have bad tenants, people, you know, all of the things, all of the things that, that cause stress in people's lives. And 
I tell anybody, go stand on the top of the tallest building in your town, you know, shoot a pebble in a half mile circle, you will hit somebody who cannot sleep tonight because of that property, somebody that you can help. So um, what's changed? Really fundamentally, the business hasn't changed. Um, what's changed is the marketing methods that we use, right? Technology, like I don't know about you guys, but man, I'm stunned at the amount of technology that's out there now that, and I'm very resistant to change, right? I'm trying to be on this AI thing. I'm, yeah. trying, to, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to embrace it. And I'm going to do a podcast next week with a guy that, that's used implementing it a lot in the real estate. Um, you know, that's the biggest challenge for me is not externally, it's internally that, you know, I remember when I was buying properties in my area for $25,000 and now they're 65,000, mm. right? That for me, that's the biggest struggle. You know, well, why that does those numbers don't make any sense because I'm the old guy, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> I yeah. remember when I was buying houses over in that area for you know four thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, whatever it is, and now they're eighty thousand dollars. That's the biggest struggle, but fundamentally, the business is the same because our business is helping people. You know, our so, business is finding somebody who has a need and helping them out. So, what system? Because I, I know, well, two questions. One. What made you go to Chattanooga, Tennessee? You're yeah. about two. By the way, you're about two hours from me. I'm in Nashville. Okay. Um, nice. Yeah. So, what made you choose? We're all down here, man. You should come visit. Well, you know what's interesting is a lot of people. I know you know this better than I do, probably. About three to five years ago, started leaving Nashville for yeah. Chattanooga. Yeah. But uh, what what made you leave Florida and come yeah. up to Chattanooga? Fantastic question. So. Um, so after we bought that those that initial property and then the next one and then I, I went to work for this building materials supply company more on the wholesale side um you know we started doing more stuff my wife was actually a super or a purchasing superintendent for a large custom home builder and again the market in florida just collapsed and here's why so if you look at the economy of florida it's based off of three things tourism construction and agriculture and livestock Right? Most people don't realize that Florida is a really big livestock state. So imagine this three-legged stool. So we go into this recession, right? And it was a real recession, not, not this nonsense that we're going through now. So like, remember, you know, like the first thing that collapsed for a lot of reasons, different podcasts was construction. So somebody kicked out one of the legs. Mm. Well, we were in a national recession. People stopped traveling. Do you know Disney shuttered whole parts of its park that have never reopened again? They are wow. still shuttered. There are still re resorts that never reopen. That's wow. the second leg. So Florida just collapsed. So um, again, I was you know in real estate, real estate education, and learning, and and doing all of those things. And I was actually at this this event up in Boston in early 2008. And this guy was talking about markets and how they're different in one place to the other. And you know, real real estate can be a very local thing, but. The point he was trying to make is just because your area is in the toilet to say, you know, doesn't mean every area is. So it can be state specific. It can be neighborhood specific. Right. Let's say you're you're in an inner city and all of a sudden they decide they're going to put a subway station at the corner of Fifth and Main. Right. Well, all of a sudden there's going to be a lot of activity and growth around Fifth and Main because now there's going to be people traffic. Right. Mm -hmm. So a very small example and it can get much bigger. But so. At this event, this guy was brilliant too. He had this huge like 50 foot screen behind him and he was literally with this pointer going state by state talking about whether the market was up or down and what was causing it. And he got to Chattanooga. And Chattanooga, this is in 
in 08, well, Volkswagen is about to open their first production facility in the United States mm-hmm. in Chattanooga. I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. And also, Amazon was opening two distribution facilities here, mm-hmm. and they were going to add 20,000 new jobs. Well, Chattanooga took a quick look, only had 180,000 people in it, in the Metro MSA. So you're going to add 20,000 jobs in an area of 100. That's a lot, man. That's mm-hmm. a lot. So I, you know, did a little bit more research and we found that it was a very diverse economy here. Um, You know, there was no one sector that controlled, like everybody worked at one place, right? It wasn't like a military town where they close the base, you're done, right? Um, So Chattanooga's economy, there was lots of sectors to it. Um, Little Debbie's snack cakes, you ever had one of them? Yeah. Lifesavers, Brock and Brock, you ever had those? Made here. Um, huge insurance companies are here. Unum, which is an international insurance company, they're headquartered here. Um, Blue Cross for the Southeast is based here. And then in North Georgia, we have all the textile mills, Shaw Carpet, you know, all of those. So on top of that, it was also um, the first city in the country to have gig internet to every every residence. Mm-hmm. They actually had an accident, but so there were a lot of opportunities here and I wasn't going to have that PTSD of Florida just collapsing as quickly as as it as it did. Um and it happened so fast in Florida. Um in 2008 we bought our last house in Deltona, Florida on Trafalgar Street, 742 Trafalgar. And it was this very basic Deltona, Florida, which is Central Florida, three bedroom, two bath, two car garage, right? There's a million of them. They're all built exactly the same. Well, I bought this house for, this is a dead guy house. <laughs> it was a probate. So uh, anyways, I bought this house for 98,000, something like that, less than a hundred. Mm. And an identical house, like everything identical, the layout, one block over and two blocks down had just sold for 214. So like all of us will make that bet, right? Mm. So we knew we were going to move someplace or do something. So I'm like, this will be sort of our last go round on the merry-go-round. Mm-hmm. And so I, we, you know, we're living in it, we're fixing it up, and we were going to sell it and take that money. And that's how we were going to relocate and start our business someplace else. So closed on it, maybe like July of 08, something like that. Working on it, fixing it up. You know, I was still working. My wife had been laid off by that point. Mm-hmm. And I finished it in November or early November, maybe. And I called my realtor, different realtor this time. And she's like, yeah, let's just wait till <laughs> January because, uh, you know, nobody really moves during Christmas and Thanksgiving. And you don't want a bunch of days on market because you don't want your house to look like it's stale. Like, why has this been on the market for 45 days and hasn't sold? Right. Because remember we were coming out of a really hot economy mm-hmm. and uh I'm like, okay great so january comes around and she comes over to the house and she says you did a great job and i'm like i, I know, know. <laughs> <laughs> like, it looks good. i'm like i know <laughs> i said what can we sell this for so she sits down again 2000 now we're january of 2009 and you know we're still on like binders right binders of houses for anybody that gets the Mitt Romney joke, nobody ever does. But anyways, <laughs> so we open it up and she's flipping all these pages and she's like, well, like probably like 145. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> what? One block over, two blocks down, 214. Oh, that was last year. Oh, no. Well, what the F do you mean last? That was six months ago. Right, right. What are you talking about? That's how fast it collapsed. Wow. So when it stopped, it stopped on a dime. So, you know... <laughs> So, you know, uh, you know, being the arrogant young idiot that I am, I'm like, well, my house is better. Right, right, right. 
my house is remodeled. Those are for yeah, right, right. Who's gonna want those, right? Yeah, yeah. Somebody just left those and they're icky. My house is remodeled. So <laughs> like, yeah, I don't think so. I'm like, <laughs> so I'm gonna tell you guys. I thought I was most magnanimous sob that's ever walked the face of the earth when I said, "All right, I'll do 165." She's like. <laughs> Yeah. All right. No, she's a listing agent. She doesn't care. She's like, right. sign here. I right. got the sign in my trunk. I walked her out. She put the sign in the art. Off she went. And I'm like, well, boy, this is going to suck. We're only going to make 165 on this thing. So we're only going to make like, you know, maybe like 60 grand, but it'll be okay. We're, at, least, at least we'll make some money. Oh, yeah. 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 This is my thought, right? Because I'm, I'm so smart. Right. So, right, uh, right. so she leaves. And like, I'm great to work with. I don't hassle people. And I've got a job. And so like a month goes by and like, there's nothing. And this is not the way it was. Like the way it was six months before was, you know, like it had gradually slowed down, but it wasn't this. Like we didn't even have a showing for a month. So needlessly, I'm keeping my kids' rooms clean and all this nonsense, not a showing. So, you know, we're, we're talking. I said, well, you know, it's February. I kind of told my, my company that I'm leaving in the summer. Well, all right, let's do 155. And she's like, yeah, okay. Right, okay. So now we got a couple of calls at least. I'm like, mm. oh, but no showings, like still not even a showing. Mm. So, you know, back then, like in a not normal, a not hot market, you let stuff go for 30 days. Okay. So now March comes around. I'm getting a little, getting a little nervous. Yeah. I'm like, okay, let's just do 145. Let's get this done. She's like, oh, well, that's not the number anymore. I'm like, well, what is it now? Maybe like if you want to get rid of it quick, one twenty-five. I'm like, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Not. This is beautiful. I, I'm, I'm in control of this market. The market isn't control of me. I'm going to That's dictate right. what the market is. That's right. That's right. Because because I've been doing this for now right. six years, right? And right. even six years of real estate time is a long time. Right. So I'm like, absolutely not. Right. And uh, she's like. Okay, I'll make the change. So now we actually had a couple showings, still no offers. Well, now we're getting into April. Now I'm Ooh. starting to get really panicky. So I'm like, I'm going to do this myself. I canceled the listing and I went out and put out a bunch of those street signs that say, uh, house for sale, owner will finance, $5,000 down. So I was going to sell it as a lease option. Because like I was either going to leave my job or get laid off. Like it was... Ooh. It was done, right? We knew it was done. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd sort of, you know, I'd gotten a little transfer to Chattanooga where I was going to get a little bit of money for a little bit of time. And I just, mm -hmm. I needed to do that. So, so I found this nurse that wanted, you know, wanted to put $5,000 down and she was going to buy it on a lease option, which is, she, she put down $5,000 option money. Probably, I'd have to go back and look. I think I was selling it to her for 140 And she had two years to refinance it into her own name. So that's, and in the meantime, she was renting it. So that's why it's a lease and an option. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, not what I wanted, but it's the best I can do. Mm -hmm. So I had been going back and forth and it was, you know, my wife and my brother were doing, we were all doing real estate together. And I don't know about you guys, but I had been in Chattanooga. I had been here, you know, maybe four or five times I'd come up. We had bought a couple of houses and I had walked through this house um, sort of on the side of Missionary Ridge, not a great part of town, but we we had bought, we took over this guy's mortgage, kind of like assuming, but it's not. But anyways, so we're we're leaving Deltona, literally like we're packing the van, moving out. This other lady's moving in. She gives me a cashier's check for five grand. I'm like, fantastic. I deposited the bank and we drive to Chattanooga. 
you know, it's 577 miles and we had a closing, you know, that late that, that afternoon. Somehow we, we, we did it. Or maybe I closed with her the day before and, and left the next day. I can't remember. But so we get to Chattanooga. It's, you know, it's four o'clock in the afternoon. We, uh, we go to this closing. I signed for this house and, uh, you know, didn't have to put any money down because we did a creative deal. And we get over, we get to this house and I hadn't been there in like two months. I'm going to tell you, it was not the way I remembered it. <laughs> it like your optimistic day when I thought we were walking out of there with 60 grand. Right. So it's, dude, it's terrible. Um, it was this old 1900s house. The floors were crooked. I didn't remember that. Like Ooh. doors don't close all the way. There's a gap. The, there was no air conditioning. Ooh. I think there might have been some wall units in there before the guy moved out, but those were all gone. It's June, June 8th or 9th in in Tennessee, which is hot, you know, yeah. right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I'm going to tell you, we got there. Now it's, you know, seven o'clock at night. Everybody's exhausted. And you know, it's everything I can do to pull a mattress, two mattresses out of the out of the truck, drag them inside, throw a sheet on them, put a fan on us. You know, the electricity wasn't working in half the house because one oh. of the holes broken there's oh, no man. air there's like mouse running through the place wow and guys i'm gonna tell you man i i laid down on that 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 bed that night and i'm like what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna tell you like i cried myself to sleep that night because i'm mm. like what on earth i yeah. left it like i had family in florida mm. i had friends i you know i could have found another job i did have this beautiful house that was remodeled it was actually really nice mm. and i left that and i'm in this house that's not in the greatest part of town you know you're a husband a father a brother mm. i got my wife my brother two boys three fat dogs mm. like what the fuck did i <laughs> what are we doing here like it's a bad night, man. I'm gonna tell yeah. you, it was not good. Yeah. Um, and then, but you know, you got to wake up the next day and say, "Put my big boy pants on. We're gonna go out and figure this out and make it happen." And, yeah, we're gonna make it happen, and that's that's how we kind of got into the wholesaling and then all okay. of the other. Well, tell me this. So, so um, who was your mentor, if anyone? Here's why I ask. Yeah. Some of your solutions are, are, from my perspective, pretty creative. Yeah. And so was it just a matter of you going to these meetups? Was, did you have a mentor? You mentioned your brother was in the business with you. Yeah. Where did yeah. you get these creative ideas in terms of, you know, that, that, you, that you've leveraged in the past yeah. and currently? Yeah. So that's the interesting thing about real estate is there you cannot go to university and learn this, right? Even entrepreneurial studies is the, it's not great, right? Because um, they're not really taught by entrepreneurs. Um, so no, definitely had a lot of mentors along the way, a couple that really stand out. But I found them because I got involved in this local real estate group in, in Florida, is uh, Central Florida Real Estate Investors, CFRI.net. If anybody's down there, it's fantastic. Um, but I took classes, right? I took the weekend classes. I paid the mentorship. I paid for coaching. I bought the courses, you know, all of the things, right? Um, I did all of I did all of that. And I had done it for six years. So I did have this crazy knowledge. I just didn't know. Like I had all the all the ingredients, I just didn't know how we were going to put it together. Mm. And that's, you know, just desperation, right? Literally, we are in a town where we know one person. The three of us between us have $5,000 and we need to go figure this out. Mm. Like we've got to do this, right? I have two boys, two teenage sons who need sneakers, three fat dogs who really like these, you know, and a wife who I would prefer not to leave me because I've 
fucked up our future, right? <laughs> they say um, they say they say necessity is the mother of invention, right? When you get you down know, to the bare brass tacks. When you happen. when you get to the point where I've got to make this happen, you you will just find a way. Your brain will figure it out. Um, and you know, interestingly enough, we had tried wholesaling when we were in Florida and couldn't do it. But we couldn't do it because I had a job that I was making eighty thousand at the time. I'm flipping a house every six months, making forty. Like there was no necessity. So we tried it. It didn't work. I'm like, ah, we don't need this. But when you need to make it happen, right? That's that's when the inner person comes out, and you're like, we're doing this. Like we we've got to figure this out. And you know, people ask why we were successful. I don't know, man. We were we we were focused on it. Real estate was the first thing I thought about in the morning. It was what I did all day. It was the last thing I thought about at night. Um, you know, barring something happening with my kids, it was the priority, right? Now, I'm going to tell you that is good and bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there, with, a, with an entrepreneur, there is no balance. You don't have a balanced life. I'm just, if you want to be an entrepreneur and you think you're going to have that, you're not going to probably be successful. Very, I don't know of anybody that's really balanced because you get so focused on making sure that this happens because starting your own business, whether it's a real estate company or a muffin shop or an appraisal, or it's a big lift, right? You've got to lift that boulder up and figure it out. And, you know, it's, it's hard to, you know, there is no 50, 50 balance. So for me, it's, no. you know, unfortunately, like I've got a great wife and our boys are older now, they understand, you know, so it's 75% work, but I make sure that that 25% I'm with them is peak life experiences, right? Like we're, mm -hmm. we're together and, you know, we're focused. So in your YouTube, you mentioned the, the Viking analogy of burning the boats. Yeah, yeah. Is, is that a metaphor for when you just said, I'm all into real estate, I'm not looking at corporate America, yeah. or I'm not, I'm not getting a job there because yeah. I'm all committed 100%. Yeah, yeah it, it, that's a leap of faith, right? Um, it, that, yes, that we were all in on real estate. And I knew, right? We I've been around enough people that I knew you can have incredible success. Real estate has given me a life that I don't deserve. I'm going to tell you. Like I've been all around the world and been able to spend a month in Europe and month in China. Like I, it's awesome. And I don't say that. Like, listen, there have been a lot of bad days too. But yeah, it's. I knew that it worked, right? So there is somewhat of a leap of faith there. And, you know, to kind of go back to my very first real estate meeting, because this, this sort of applies here. I've talked about this a bunch. So I was very, my first, I read the book, right? Rich Dad, Poor Dad at the end, he says, go to, go to a local real estate meetup. I'm like, okay, I don't have to be that smart, but I'm really good at following directions, right? I don't try to recreate the wheel and the second guess, I'm going to do something different just to be, I don't know, whatever these people think now. But anyway, so it said, go to the meetup. So I got online. I found, I found, I found this meetup and uh, I remember it was July of whatever year. 2003 or four or something like that. So I'm driving down there and uh, I pulled into this this parking lot and the event center in Orlando where they had, it was a big place. It was the Bumby Theater is where they used to have it. And I didn't realize until probably a while later that Orlando, the Orlando RIA, Real Estate Investment Association was the third biggest in the country. There was a lot of people there, man, a lot. I pull into, I find it, I pull into the parking lot and like, there's all these cars, if you, you know, realtor, hard money, I buy, hot, like every car was like, had these vehicle wraps and these magnets on it. And I'm driving through looking for a parking place and I'm driving through and I'm driving through and I'm like, out the other side and home. Cause I was scared. I was just scared to go in. And I got home and I, I tell people, I can count on one hand how many times I've not told my wife the truth. She's like, how'd it go? I'm like, Phew. 
Couldn't find it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was, I'm telling you, dude, I was scared. Like I was intimidated, right? I'm like, Whoa, yeah. So, so now I'm pissed, right? Now I'm so mad with myself. You guys ever done that where you're like, yeah. You know, yeah, I was I was just mad. So yeah. I remember I didn't go in August, but I do remember I went in September because that's my birthday. Mm -hmm. So now I'm like mad. Like I told my wife, yeah, I'm going I'm going back down there. I'm gonna find I'm white knuckled down because I'm like waking <laughs> right. myself up. I'm like I'm going in. I'm doing this. Right, I'm going, right, right. I'd right. be a big pansy. I'm going in. So yeah, yeah. I go in, pay my ten dollars or whatever it was to to get into this place, mm. and uh, um, you know I didn't know what to do. Right. There was you walked in. It was sort of like a convention thing. There's a bunch of tables. People mm -hmm. were giving stuff out. I'm like, mm -hmm. everybody's grabbing a bag. I'll grab a bag. I'm going to put right. pens in. You know, I don't know. I'm just doing blend. Right. Because I'm also incredibly introverted. I know you okay. can't tell. But uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so the thing starts and I go in and it's this big auditorium. So I immediately sit all by myself on the far left hand side. Right. And I get my little notebook and, uh, you know, because, again, you know, I want to take my notes. And right. so I'm sitting there. And this is a funny story because it's going to tie in. So this this group down there, they they did what was called this deal of the month. So basically, they they pre-select three or four people. They would stand up. This was the old days when you had like the transparency and it would shoot up on the screen. So these three people would get. <laughs> I remember those way back when. Yeah. <laughs> so so, uh, um, so I'm sitting there, and the this this first person comes up. I wish with every fiber of my being I could remember his name, but I just call him Bob. Mm -hmm. So Bob gets up there, and he looks like he's about 85. Typical Florida guy, literally overalls and a white T-shirt. Everything is everything but the straw hanging out of his mouth. <laughs> and he starts, and everybody's quiet. And he's like, hey, my name's Bob. And I shit you not, the whole place goes, hey, Bob. And I'm like, where, <laughs> where am I? <laughs> I'm like, all right, I write on my thing, Bob, right? Like, I'm going to take notes, right? I'm right. in college. Right. 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 So I'm like, okay. Um, so Bob goes, he goes, yeah, I was I was driving to North Carolina to see my kinfolk. And uh, I stopped on the way in South Carolina to get gas. And I saw that this house was for sale. So I went and talked to him and he wanted, you know, $80,000 for the house and I offered him 60 and he wouldn't take it. So I gave him my card and just left. And when I was driving home, he called me and said he'd take my money. So I went back and I closed on the house and hired a contractor and we just sold the house for 130000 Ooh. I'm sitting there, I'm like, this guy just made 60 grand? How did that happen? I'm, I'm stunned, right? Right. I don't know about you guys, but like there are points in people's lives where you can go back to where it's a defining moment. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm from Boston. I have a college education. I'm relatively right. smart. Right. I'm out here busting my butt for 80 grand a year. Right, and a production right. managing this mill shop, and this guy just this guy. So the next person gets up, and it is this stunningly beautiful girl who's in her early twenties. And I'm now I'm they have my attention now. Like I'm <laughs> You're like hello. I'm like I put my glasses on. Put glasses on. Yeah. <laughs> right. She right. starts talking. This girl's name is Olga. I do remember that. That I seared into my memory <laughs> right. okay and she's talking about flipping mobile homes all over orlando for five grand a piece wow 
I don't have any idea what the third person said. I, I don't can't, I have no recollection of a third person because guys, I sat there and I'm like, what on earth am I doing? Yeah. Old dude flipping houses where he's not even there wow. making crazy money. The Russian hottie, these two people are doing this. My wow. God, what am I doing? And I'm going to tell you like, that's as, as true a story as I, I can tell. I think back to that a lot. That was and, pivotal. And here's what I will tell you. Some of the richest people I know are not smart. Mm. I mean, they're not like Bill Gates smart, right? Elon Musk smart. But they do one thing and they do it really, really good. And they do it yep. over and over and over. And that was a lesson that I learned that day. What, what, what I enjoyed most about your um, your YouTube video is you talked about your processes. Mm. And I thought it was fascinating when you presented your project plan of the processes of the different representatives in your office, oh, yeah. like the band charts and different things they do. Yeah. The question I have is, you mentioned a CRM system, then you mentioned spreadsheets. How many different systems do you use? Oh. Then you even mentioned AI today, yeah. which is, I mean, are you, would you say that technology is a tool that helps you scale yeah. or to make it so your close of their transaction, marketing to close is what you said, if that's much faster with technology or mm. is it the application of the tool? And I use that as an example because Andre is pretty good with a, a drill or a miter saw. <laughs> I would lose limbs if I used the miter saw. So <laughs> is, it, yeah. is it the technology or the application of it? Yeah. Um, so one, we have three main systems, four really, because we have, in my wholesaling business, we have three. We have a couple different businesses. Um, technology is a funny thing. Um, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of people come into this business and they get really wound up and I've got to have the right CRM. I've got to have business cards. I've got to have a website. I've got to have all these things. And I've done coaching for a bunch of different years. And it's a very, it's very easy to get sidetracked on those things, right? If I ever talk to somebody and they tell me all the different ways that they, they've mastered their CRM and they've perfected it, I can tell you they're not doing any deals, right? So... I'm not great at technology. I've been using the same CRM for since 2009. It's honestly not great for what we do because we've scaled sort of beyond it, but we make it work. Um, but to switch to something new would literally shut us down for three months while we while we make those transitions. So does technology help? Of course. It, it, it's, you know, every CRM is just a glorified database. That's all they are. Um, but can you, you could do the exact same thing with notebook paper or an Excel sheet. Um, and that's where I tell people to start. You do not need to go spend $400 a month on some fancy CRM that does calls and texting. And you know you can do all of those things without that. Because the most important thing is when you get started is making money. Right? That's mm -hmm. it. Like the, you know, we talk about the end in mind. The end is cashing checks, right? That's why we do this. We don't wear it for, we don't do it for the fancy shirts and because I want to wear red shoes or, you know, like none of that matters. The only thing that matters is that we, that we cash checks. So in the beginning, I'm not, you know, the, the students that we coach, I'm not like, oh, go, you got to go get all of these things. No, you need to go find a deal, write it on paper, put it in your note, you know, type it in your computer if you want, uh, you know, keep, keep track of what you're doing. But, uh, you know, I don't ne necessarily know that in the beginning, all of that is necessary now, right? We're, we're scaled up. We're talking to 100 people a week. We're not going to close all 100 of them. So we do need some type of follow-up system, right? That's what the CRM does for it. It just helps keep us organized. Um, 
you know, I'm not sure if I've answered your question, but you did. It does, it does help. You did. It does yeah. help. Yeah. You know, yeah. for us, there's no CRM that does everything, right? So I've got one that's sort of database management for sellers, and you know, we're able to do some texting and calls through that. I've got another one that's our selling kind of platform where we sell our properties. Um, because what was involved in the first one wasn't as really what we needed. So we had to have this one. And then, you know, I've also got, we have extensive Google Sheets that our company operates off of that keeps KPIs, key performance indicators. And, you know, we track the number of leads that come in, the number of conversations that we have, the number of offers that are made, the number of contracts that are, you know, we just track our business all the way across. Um, but do you need that in the beginning? No, no, I never did any of that stuff until probably four or five years ago. Um, but not, then I had a team and, you know, we needed to start running it like a real business because, you know, when we started this, remember, we started with no money. We were just out, just hustling, right? Which for lack of a better term. And the example I give is like, oh, imagine like a steep hill, you know, those old red rider wagons that, yeah. you know, you'd, they were called, like, dude, that was me, like a fat kid in the red rider, like my arms yeah. and legs out, just right. going down the hill. We're just, we're buying, we're selling, we're getting rentals. We're just doing stuff. And all of a sudden, after a couple of years, you get to the bottom of the hill and you're like, oh, my God, I have a real business. Yeah. Right. Shoot. I need attorneys and accountants and, you know, yeah. I need things, right, to, to keep all of this straight and be compliant and, and do all of the things. So, so that stuff, it comes with time. I wouldn't say if you're just starting out today, that's not what your focus should be. Your focus yeah. should be going out, you know, in my business, going out and finding the deal and, you know, helping somebody and, you know. Kind of build the business. You got to build yeah. the business, yeah. um, but you don't, you know, you don't need to spend a year building up, you know, all the processes and all that stuff, right? Go do a couple of deals, then you can buy something and, and then go from there. Let me ask you this, ask you this, David. So you, you clearly have your finger on the pulse, right? So you, you, you guys have a, uh, if I read your background correctly, a property management arm, you're doing wholesaling, you're buying and holding. So yeah. Based on, on, you know, think about your, your, your experience here in the, in the, in the, in the uh, industry. Yeah. With J.P. Morgan doing what they're about to do and other hedge funds getting into real estate, yeah. uh, primarily doing single family homes yeah. um, with the intent to rent them. If someone were to get started in real estate now or uh, perhaps make a pivot now, what would your recommendation be? as it relates to buying uh, a commercial property, five doors and up, or mm -hmm. buying a single family. Do you have a preference there? What would you recommend to other investors? So here's, here's what I would say. So being a real estate investor, it's like being a doctor. You can be the eye doctor, the ear doctor, the nose doctor, the butt doctor, the toe doctor, whatever, right? So you can do also do the same thing in real estate. You can be a wholesaler, you can be a rehabber, you can fix up properties like they do on TV and resell them. You can buy storage units, you can buy office complexes, you can buy raw land and develop it, you can buy apartments and convert them to condos. Lots of ways to do to do this business. That's gonna be dependent, what you do, first off, what you do you have to love because this is hard, right? Uh, anybody that tells you getting into real, any of these businesses is gonna be a piece of cake is just honestly lying to you. So the rewards are awesome, but it's work. So you have to find something, one that you love and that fits your personality. And, you know, maybe that, you know, what your background is will help you. So for me, single families were very easy, right? I came from a world of working with contractors and, 
you know, selling trusses and lumber and doors and windows. And like that was a very easy transition for me because I understood it on a fundamental basis. But, you know, if you came from some type of commercial background, then you should be in the commercial business. Um, also, when I started, remember, there was the crash, there was no bank lending. I had had a foreclosure, like I had to figure out other ways to, to do this. So, you know, where should you go? It depends. It depends what's right for you. Um, if you can scale up faster and just start with, you know, large commercial buildings or strip malls or, you know, you've got great credit, you've got some cash, then definitely you should start there. If you're broke like me, <laughs> had terrible credit, you know, wholesaling was the perfect place to start. And then, you know, we started adding on adjacent businesses around that core, right? Because it was very easy to go because what wholesaling does is it teaches you how to market. It also teaches you how to evaluate um, you know, the value of properties, right? Because if I contract the deal for 60,000 or 50,000 and all any cash buyer wants to give me is 45, well, I contracted it too high, now I have a problem. So, um, so I guess I would say it depends. If you can start at a higher level, fantastic. You should definitely do that. Most people though start at single families and then will transition out. Um, here's the conversation that, that it happens in investor world. People will say, you should buy a apartment complex because it's one roof and 50 yeah. units, all, they're all in there together. That's what I is, hear. Right, yeah. sure, that's true. Um, and I would love to own some 50 unit apartment complexes as well. And we have, I have some smaller stuff, eight and 10 unit. Um, but here's what I'll tell you about single families. If I want to sell one, I could just peel off one and sell it, right? I don't have to sell the whole thing. I don't have to go refinance the whole thing. I don't have to do that. So I have a lot more flexibility with single families, but you know, you got to manage them, right? So mm. we hired a pro I don't have my own property management company. We did manage self-manage for a long time, but now we, we've outsourced that and they do a far better job than I was doing. Mm. Um, but, you know, like I had a property that had a fire in it. I just don't have the time to fix it up right now. So it's a property we bought with no money down in 2014. We're selling it at 105 on a, just a fire sale. Wow. And we're going to walk away with 105,000 because we were able to use that strategy to to buy that house. So um, hopefully that answered your question. Where, did, where are you going to be really dependent on you and your background and what you like? Mike, if you were if you were a loan officer, I would you would probably go right into the big stuff because you understand that world. I'm not the bank lending guy. Like when people will always ask me like, well, what do you think I should do on this refi? I'm like, I don't know, man. Go ask my friend, Justin. He, he does a lot of refis. I'm yeah. not going to tell you that I don't have experience in. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. So um, before we go to the final four, uh, which uh, Smile would kick off for us. One sure. final question for you. What is it that we haven't asked you that we should have? Oh, um, boy, somebody asked me, the other, I was speaking at this event in Dallas, and they actually, you know, the people will ask questions from the audience, and this one lady actually stumped me. She said, what are you afraid of? Ooh. I'm like, I'm like oh, I've been asked a lot of questions, but never like that in real estate. And I, I'm be honest, I stood there under the lights for a good 30 seconds, like with nothing, nothing to say. I'm but, afraid of questions like these. I'll stand up there and talk all day if we want to talk. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been waiting for a little bit of a market correction for a long time. So honestly, it sounds terrible, but I, I worry that it won't last long enough. So if you talk to most experienced investors, people that have been around for a while, the answer is always the same. What do you, what do you regret? You regret that you didn't buy more houses 
back then, right? If I'd have bought 400 houses instead of 100, life would be radically different, right? But, you know, we were wholesaling them for $5,000 when we thought that was important, right? We all live mm. and learn. So that my biggest fear is that, you know, I don't buy as many more properties as I could or should. Um, you know, like anybody who's driven, my biggest fears are that I don't accomplish all the things that I that I set out to do. Um, you know, we have a lot of plans to grow our businesses even more and more and more. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think at least for me and most entrepreneurs, I think we're driven by fear of failure, right? Like maybe that's a Catholic guilt in me from from New England, but uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely fear of, of failure, right? Like my dad's passed away, but you know, geez, what I disappoint my mom and my dad. <laughs> Sounds yeah, yeah. crazy. But yeah. Uh, yeah, there's always that that weird stuff that's stuck inside your head. So yeah, maybe that. Good. All right. Uh, well, moving into the final All four. Right. Uh, I'm ready. Think about it like this. If anyone alive or dead, living your past, current, who would you want to have dinner with the most and, and why? So it's only four people at the table. You have one seat. Who would have the other three table chairs uh, oh. and why? That's a good one. Um that's a good one. Um, I, I mean, I'd probably want to go back to the to the greats, the Industrial Revolution, J.P. Morgan. Oh yeah. Um, you know Rockefeller. You know, like those types of guys, because I'm always fascinated, fascinated by people that build tremendous companies and make this big change um, in the world who started from nothing. Right? Yeah. What is the difference? What is the thing that separates? us from them, right? And because, you know, in any business, like in real estate, the guy who's doing zero deals wants to be doing one. The guy who's doing one wants to be doing five. The guy who's doing five wants to be doing 20. But the, like even us, like everybody aspires to that next level. So yeah, what is it about them? Like what was the thing? What was the spark that made all of that happen, right? The uh, the funny thing you should say that, I'm gonna turn you on to because you, you mentioned uh, Somebody boss on the the, the negotiation guy. Okay. I want to share with you a book. Have you heard of Napoleon Hill? Oh yeah, I've read that. Yeah. But everyone thinks about think and grow rich, but if you look at the laws of success, yeah. Because the question you pose is the same one Andrew Carnegie poses: yeah. is What is the catalyst that makes yeah. all these people successful? And he wrote the laws of success. Have you read that? It's been a long, long time, and I'm not sure that I finished it. Um, but yeah, that's like, that's it. Like, I want to just have those conversations, you know, even, you know, Steve Jobs, Musk, you know, these guys who literally just started with zero and somehow like, like, was there a spot where I didn't push through where I should have, or did I miss an opportunity or, you know, what are those things that we can, you know, Colonel Sanders, dude didn't hit it till he was 70, right? All of those people, I'm just fascinated by, by those, those people and their ability to, create change from nothing you know it's yeah. literally just an idea in their head and like then it. it became something i like it i like it personally or professionally to date what's been your greatest yeah. success oh man i mean professionally i've done some great deals some like you know, we bought packages of a million dollars where we put no money down and got 10 grand at closing. So that's cool. Professionally, you know, 
I built a great team, you know, and teams fluctuate, right? They, they grow and they small and they get smaller, but you know, I've built a really great core of people around me. And that was something that I learned when I was managing retail stores is, you know, your success is only going to be, you know, measured, not measured, but it, governed by the people that you surround yourself with people that are on, want to be on the same journey as you can see the same vision and, um, you know, want to participate in that. And, you know, I'm very, I'll say obviously, but I'm very protective of those people that are on the inside bubble. Like I'll literally take a bullet for those people. It's cause I want us all to win together. So, you know, professionally, that's probably like, you know, one of the, the best things that I'm proud of. It's my team. I, I talk about them a lot. Like so uh, the third question is, what is your superpower? Um, a couple, th- I think uh, yeah, I'm very process driven, which is weird for a visionary. Um, I'm not great at implementing, but I, I'm very good at, at, at looking at something and dissecting it, taking it apart, putting it back together. But a real superpower would be, I think I'm great at seeing something from somebody else's point of view. Right. And I think that's why I've been able to have success talking to people who want to sell their property because I can understand their situation and, and I can see it from their point of view. Same thing with people who want to buy investment properties um, because our industry is very littered with arrogance and, you know, you should sell me your house because I'm the greatest thing ever. And, you know, what there's just a lot of that. But yeah, I think that kind of tactical empathy, as Chris Voss says, of, just be able to take yourself and put yourself over here and see how this situation looks to somebody else. You know, it's good and it's bad. I also probably give people too many chances, you know, in my business. But uh, yeah, I try. I think I'm a pretty understanding person. All right. So imagine that some big time publisher hears this podcast. Yeah. And then decides to reach out to you and say, says, David, your episode with Dre and Smiley was incredible. We want you to write a biography. What would mm. the title be? Man. Hmm. Yeah, like that kid from Boston gets lucky. I don't know, man. Um, <laughs> I don't think there's anything that we've done that's really special. Um, I don't know, man. We we're just we we're too too dumb to quit. That would probably that have to be okay. it. Right? Okay. Too dumb to quit. Um, yeah, we're like there's nothing special about us we just we just you know my my operations manager heather coined this we we just do the thing if you do the thing the thing works we just get up every day and we do the thing right we we, we do that process over and over and over and over time we've just fine-tuned it made it better and better and better and i oh, mean we just we just do the thing i love that All right. well hey uh david i want to thank you for your time and your candor and your stories and as we stated in the beginning, um, our goal is to have uh, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And we really appreciate you uh, taking some time out to speak with us and our listeners. Yeah, you were awesome. Appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you guys thinking I was worthy to be on and, and, and definitely for having me. Mm-hmm.